0: Reed spoke earlier about the Harry Potter books. Uh, I'm gonna turn uh, slightly uh, to the right of that, I guess, and a little bit older to C.S. Lewis's The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, the first of the Narnia Chronicles. The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. If you've read that book, hopefully you have, hopefully you've had your children and grandchildren reading that book, uh, you may remember that once the Pevensey children are you know, through the wardrobe into the land of Narnia. They start learning a whole lot and some of their key guides in the story, at least for uh, Peter, Susan, and Lucy, you may remember that Edmund's over, kind of getting sucked in with the the White Witch, and we got a problem there to deal with. Uh, But at least for Peter, Susan, and Lucy, they're being guided by Mr. and Mrs. Beaver and uh, the beavers are telling the Pevensey children about the king of Narnia, and the name of the king of Narnia is what? Aslan, right? So Aslan, and they're hoping for Aslan, the king, to return, and then as the story goes on, uh, the Pevensey children realize that Aslan is not a human being, not a man. He is a lion, And the girls, Susan and Lucy, are quite concerned (laughs) about that situation. Uh, Susan, surprised, because she had assumed that Aslan was a man, she says, I feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Mrs. Beaver replies, that you will, dearie, no mistake. If there's anyone who can appear before Aslan without their knees knocking, They're either braver than most or else just silly. Then he isn't safe, asked little Lucy. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Don't you hear what Mrs. Beaver is telling you? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. I'm longing to see him, said Peter, even if I do feel frightened when it comes to that point. Focusing in in this conversation on Aslan's return, because they need Aslan to return to Narnia, because you may remember in the story, the White Witch has turned everything to winter. There is no real life going on. There's no, but, but, but there's this winter, but you remember never Christmas. Winter, but never Christmas in Narnia. How about that? So um, they're hoping that, Aslan, the king, is going to return to restore everything, but, but the children are concerned because you may remember that Tumnus, the fawn, has been turned by the white witch into you know, a stone pillar, and so they're asking about this, is, is the white witch going to be able to overpower our king and turn him into stone? Turn him into stone, the beavers say. If she can stand on her own two feet and look him in the face, it'll be the most that she can do. More than I'd ever expect of her. No, no. Here's what Aslan, the king, is going to do when he comes. He'll put all to rights. As it says in an old rhyme in these parts, wrong will be right when Aslan comes in sight. At the sound of his roar, sorrows will be no more. When he bares his teeth... Winter meets its death, and when he shakes his mane, we shall have spring again. You'll understand when you see him. The justice warrior, he'll put all to rights. The king, the justice warrior. Who is the Lord God? If you have any spiritual movement in your heart and soul, That is the essential question to ask, who is God? Who is the Lord? Well, if you open the Bible, you read a lot of introductions to God, including these from Psalm chapter 68, verse 5. He is father to the fatherless and protector of widows. That's God in his holy habitation, Psalm 68. You go back over to Deuteronomy and he's not only the father to the fatherless, and the protector of widows, he also is the one who gives refuge to and protects sojourners in the land, foreigners in the land. And the Israelites are warned and commanded, you better also give refuge to and help the sojourners when they come among you, because you need to remember, you also were sojourners when you were in Egypt. That's who God is. He protects widows. He provides a home to the orphans, to the fatherless. He watches over and brings into his own home the foreigner and the stranger and the sojourner. Isaiah tells us this is who God is. Isaiah chapter 30, verse 18. The Lord is a God of justice. The Lord, who is he? Who is Jehovah? Who's Yahweh? He is a God of justice. He's the God of justice. Isaiah chapter 30, verse 18. And blessed are those who wait for him. Therefore, the Lord waits to be gracious to you. Therefore, he exalts himself. Why does the Lord exalt himself? So that he can show mercy to you. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all who wait for him. In other words, who live their lives looking to him listening for him, not going your own way, but actually turning to the Lord and seeking to follow him, to hear his word and to wait for his coming. So that's who the Lord is. He's a God of justice. Who is the Lord's servant? Who's going to put everything right? Who's going to come and restore? Who's going to fulfill all these, these, these four great prophecies of Isaiah 42, Isaiah 49, Isaiah 50, Isaiah 52 and 53, all the way through dying for our sins and then seeing the light again after he's died and having untold people who belong to him. Who is the one, who is this servant? What, what is he like? He's a justice warrior. The lion of Judah, the lion of Judah, light to the nations. Remember the song itself, the song proper. Behold my servant, whom I uphold, the Lord tells us. My chosen, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth, what? Justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud. Or lift up his voice. Or let it be heard in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break. A smoldering wick he will not quench. But he will faithfully bring forth what? Justice. Therefore, he will not grow faint. He will not despair. Until he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands. Yes, even the far off Gentiles wait for his Torah, his instruction, his law. He is the one who brings justice, who makes all things right. He is the justice warrior. Who is the Lord's servant? Well, we know this Christians, who is this gonna be? Who's gonna actually bring all this about? It's Jesus. And who is Jesus? He is the one who establishes justice in the earth. I will put my spirit upon him. We're supposed to get this message from the first servant song. It's all about God's spirit. And what does God's spirit bring forth in the servant? Who, by the way, has, is the son of God, but he's emptied himself, right? So the Lord puts his spirit upon him and he brings forth what? You heard it three times in what he's gonna fulfill. Justice, justice, justice. Verse one, right? In the middle. And then verse four. In all the earth. Uh, What we picked up on today, moving on to verse 6, when the Lord addresses the servant himself, he says, I am the Lord, I have called you in righteousness. Now I can tell you, those two terms run all the way through the Bible and definitely the Old Testament justice and righteousness, mishpat and tzedakah. Those two go hand in hand, okay? They're married and they play off of each other and they explain who God is, what his Bible is about, what his way is about, justice and righteousness. If you are interested in God and being saved in him, you will focus in on justice and righteousness. He is the justice warrior, Jesus is, who puts all things to right. So here's the thing. If you are a Christian, you read this in John 3, Verse 5, you read it all the way through the New Testament. If you are a Christian, you are born again of the Holy Spirit. You're born of the Spirit of God. And what does God's Spirit bring forth? I've just been telling you for five minutes. Justice and righteousness. So, if you are actually born again, do we have any Christians among us? Yes, I believe we do. If you're a Christian... His spirit in your heart and soul compels you, convicts you and compels you to be out in the world as a servant of his justice and righteousness. But wait a minute, it's a lot more comfortable for me. I'll do a little bit of God's stuff. I'll kind of do daily devotions. Hey, daily devotions are really important. I'll kind of just make sure my own children are protected. Well, that's really important too. That's essential stuff. And then I'll just stop there. No, If his spirit is bringing you to teach God's word and God's justice in your own household, then it will flow forth into the world. You are the light to the nations. Nobody lights a lamp and hides it under a bushel basket, Jesus says. So, Christians, church, we are called to follow the justice warrior into bringing justice and righteousness into the world. And his mission and his calling is to establish justice all over the earth. So that even the coastlands, even the far off people who hadn't heard of him before are listening to his instruction. What does the Old Testament sum up what it means to be faithful to God? Well, I'll give you one example, classic example. Micah chapter six, verse eight. A lot of you have this one memorized. I hope you've had your children memorize this one, right? He has told you, O man, what is good. What does the Lord require, require of you? And there's three things, right? You remember this? What does the Lord require of us? To do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. To do justice, to love kindness, to walk humbly with your God. That's Micah six, verse eight. And what is the first of the three? Did anybody hear it? To do what? Justice. That sums up the entire calling of God in the Old Testament. And the first thing is about doing justice. So let me talk about justice for just a couple minutes here. Justice, mishpat, comes from uh, the Hebrew role or, or position or posture of the Shaphat, the judge. And the judge is a packed full message in the Bible. The judge delivers people from oppression and darkness. And okay, that's what a judge does. You may remember in the book of Judges, that's what those folks are supposed to do. They're supposed to prophesy and they make decisions, but their big role is to bring deliverance. The judge orders the world. In fact, God created the world in his justice, and we're messed up right now, but his justice is to restore the order of the world in all creation. Those are big picture things about justice. Now, let's get to what we think about justice. A lot of times we think about juridical decisions, like this is good, this is not good, okay? A lot of times we think about retributive justice, you're going to get punished because you were bad, okay? And redemptive and restorative justice. Let me focus on the retributive and the redemptive and restorative. Those meet, and everything else I just mentioned, meet and are fulfilled in the cross of Jesus Christ. And in that, as Paul says, God is both the just and and the justifier. He deals with evil and sin, but he brings deliverance and redemption to those who are in Christ. that's what's going on at the cross. We'll talk about that again, definitely on Reformation Sunday in a couple weeks. But let me say this too. Of all of the above that I just said, what is our job here as Christians? Do I personally reorder the world? No. Am I supposed to go around judging everybody and their ultimate destination? What does Jesus say? No, I'm not on that throne. Nor am I called to bring retributive justice. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I'm not supposed to go around punishing people. So what am I supposed to do as a Christian? What are we supposed to do as the church? we're supposed to be engaged in Jesus's redemptive, restorative justice, understand? That's why Jesus sends us out. And it's not just holding up with our own little family. It's bigger than our family. It's about his mission to the world. If you wanna raise children who are actually Christian, you want to encourage them to have a heart for other people. And you want to be engaged in the current crises that we face to bring light in the midst of darkness. So as Christians, we serve justice in righteousness by the law of love. Because the law of love, which actually governs everything I've just talked about, definitely covers what we're supposed to do and guides what we're supposed to do as Christians. What's the law of love? First part, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, right? Right? What's the other part that goes with it? Love your neighbor as yourself. If you actually fulfill loving your neighbor as yourself, the justice thing is gonna flow very easily. This is not too complicated for us. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you love your neighbor as yourself, you're worried about people who are caught up in cycles of addiction. You're worried about people who are unjustly, you know, maltreated. You're worried about people who are caught up in uh, trafficking. By the way, we just had the No Longer Bound group here yesterday as part of our university outreach ministry. A lot of folks, it's interesting to have some of the Hodges uh, relatives and others here with us too. Some of the Randalls here from the local Starkville community. You know, Christians actually get worried about millions of people being sold into prostitution and forced labor, because Christians, because as people of the Holy Spirit, people who believe in Jesus, we're concerned not just about ourselves, but the whole world. So that is the one we follow, the justice warrior. And here's the good news. He wins forever. You're going to be on the winning team, Christian, as you engage in this. But I know it's hard. It's hard out. Yeah, yeah. you're on the winning team. So let's keep reading, flowing from uh, what God is saying. I'm going to pick up at verse 9 of Isaiah 42, just to tell you that God is saying, I'm laying out the whole plan for you here about what's coming, not just about the return from Babylon. This is about the whole way, all the way through Christ coming and his return. Uh, Verse nine, Isaiah 42, behold, the former things have come to pass and new things I now declare before they spring forth. I tell you of them. God controls the past, present, and future. He tells us everything that's going to happen and he's laying it out here in Isaiah 42 all the way through the end. Now look, then he calls us to rejoice and sing a new song because God is doing these new things. Sing to the Lord a new song. His praise from the end of the earth you who go down to the sea and all that fills it, the coastlands and their inhabitants. Wait a minute. These are Gentiles. Yeah, they get to sing to the Lord. They're going to join in the gospel song. And let me tell you this. On the new song, runs all the way through. What are the people around the throne of God singing in Revelation 5? The new song, right? We're talking about the gospel here in Jesus Christ, right? Let the desert and its cities lift up their voice. The villages that uh, that Kedar inhabits, that's Arabian people, by the way. Wait a minute, Arabian people are in on this? Yeah, yeah. Uh, let the inhabitants of Salah, those are Edomites. Esau's descendants? Yeah, yeah, they're in on it too. Sing for joy. Let them shout from the top of the mountains. Let them give glory to the Lord and declare his praise in the coastlands, all the way to the ends of the earth. The Lord goes out like a mighty man, verse 13, like a man of war, he stirs up his zeal. He cries out, he shouts aloud, he shows himself mighty against his foes. And then how do you pair 13 with 14? Listen to 14. For a long time, I've held my peace. I have kept still and restrained myself. Now I will cry out like a woman in labor. So he's like a mighty man of war who's ready for the fight. And he's also like a woman who is ready for the baby to come. Let's get this on. I will gasp and pant. I will lay waste mountains and hills and dry up all their vegetation He's going to do devastating things. That's the retributive side, right? But what about redemptive restorative? Well, here it comes. I will turn the rivers into islands, dry up the pools. But listen to this. I will lead the blind in a way that they do not know in paths that they have not known. I will guide them. The blind, he's so gentle, this warrior. I will turn the darkness before them into light. The rough places into level ground. These are the things I do. I do not forsake them. They are turned back and utterly put to shame. Those who trust in card idols, who say to metal images, you are our gods. Wait a minute, we don't do that anymore. Those who trust in metal images and say, you are our God will be put to shame because he's above and beyond all of this. In anything that the world is putting out in this. So God says he's going to bring the new song through battle and birth. Isn't that fascinating? I mean, he brings war on evil. But you know how it comes? Through a birth. A, a little baby born in Bethlehem. And then people who are born again, not of the flesh, but of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, that's the church. That's us. So he calls us to sing that song. It's it's an amazing song, the gospel. Church, you have a message that is like no other. Carry it out into the world. Share it. Definitely, your own family members need to know the story. But the folks you work with, you go to school with, they need to hear it too. And it is an amazing new song. It's a new song ...of an eternal covenant. God, the Lord, says to the servant, I give you as a covenant to the nations. Understand what's being said here. The Father is saying to the Son, not just I give a covenant through you. The Father says to the Son, you are the covenant. And the Son is eternal... So yes, we're getting all the way back to the beginning and the hope in Genesis of a covenant that's not just provisional, but forever. Anybody want to be with God forever? How does it come? Through the servant, the son, who is the covenant. Now catch this. In Hebrew, berit, a covenant, is supposed to be cut. When God says he's going to make a covenant with Abraham. What does Abraham need to do? Cut open a bunch of animals, right? So that the covenant can be made through the way of the cut and the blood. I give you as a covenant to the nations, God says. Jesus himself is cut for your salvation to secure something that can never be taken away from you. That's the justice warrior we're talking about. He is the one who justifies you and delivers us from all sin and evil. That's who he is. So we ought to be singing, right? And the Lord comes back to this again. It's it's this new thing that God is doing over in Isaiah 43, 19 through 21, and then verse 25. God keeps telling this story. Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. The wild beast will honor me. The jackals and the ostriches. For I give water in the wilderness, rivers in the desert. I give, I give rivers in the desert to give drink to my chosen people, the people whom I formed for myself, that they might declare my praise. Are we talking just about Israel? No, he goes on and says, Israel is rejecting this. You know, they're going to eventually come. But look at verse 25. I, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and I will not remember your sins. I blot your sins out and I will not remember them. That's who I am. That's who my son is. So what are we called to do? Um, A couple of weeks ago, two, three weeks ago, uh, Nancy and I had the opportunity to to worship at uh, the Church of St. Peter and Paul in uh, Olney which is in Buckinghamshire in London. It's the area of the Buckingham Palace, you know? It's a little church. It only holds about 120 people. It's a gorgeous old church. John Newton preached there. That's where he was a pastor or a rector for 20 years. That's a little church. I mean, Newton came to faith, you know, late after being a slave ship holder and investor. And so he's preaching at this little church with like a hundred people maybe. Um, the Church of St. Peter and Paul in Olney, just down the road from Buckingham Palace. And a really prominent new member of the parliament started coming to Newton and talking to him, a man named William Wilberforce. And Wilberforce said, I have a burden on me about this slavery and slave trade, but you know I'll get eaten up alive politically if I do anything on this. And Newton just prayed with him and shared the gospel with him. And Wilberforce was born again in Jesus Christ. And you know, he devoted his career, Wilberforce did, to ending the slave trade in the British Empire. And right as Wilberforce was dying, it was ended. And You say to me, we say to ourselves, what can we do? Well, you can change the world because you're part of the kingdom that belongs to the justice warrior. So be light, reflect his light to the world and rejoice joining the justice warrior in what he calls you to do. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit now and forever, amen.